Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. On this week's Player Development Project podcast, we answer a question from our community and try to offer up advice on practical problems faced by coaches around the world. Hi everyone, welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Pleased to be joined again by my colleague, PDP Technical Advisor, Dan Wright. Dan, how are you this week, mate? I'm really good, thank you. Looking forward to this question. Yeah, it's a pretty good one, and today it comes from Ash via Twitter, and he has said, what is your planning process? So quite a broad question around the idea of planning sessions, but plenty to talk about with this one. What are your initial thoughts on the concept, Dan? Yeah, so this was a question via Twitter, and I don't know if I could have answered it you know, with a 140 characters, so hopefully we can do it justice in, the, in this little session. So I think... For the, you know, to start with, it would be um, knowing your players, um, perhaps knowing knowing the game and knowing what that game looks like for players of that age, and then what are your sort of desired outcomes and objectives from the session? Um, is that where you'd start? Have you got a sort of a different framework in your mind? I think um, for me, it's about beginning with the end in mind. So again, it comes back to those outcomes. It's also about which individuals you're looking to focus on, or potentially if you're working to a body of work uh, like a curriculum, or whether you're you know, using the player as the syllabus or basing your sort of training on what's happened on the weekend, that could be seen as proactive or reactive. Um, I think it's about that real individual approach where you can, especially in development football. Um, and I think that's something that when you work in academy football, you're exposed to a lot, um, but should be implemented at all levels because we should be focusing on every individual uh, differently. So it might be that for one week, you know, you're working on two or three players in the two sessions you have with them, if that's all you've got, or the one session you have, and you might focus on those. Uh, and then the next week it might be somebody else and you're really putting an emphasis on, on them. And it's not to say you're neglecting the group, but it's to say that you might be designing sessions around players that uh, are working on strengths or potentially working on an area of weakness. Mm, so there's so many things here that are interconnected, isn't yeah. it? So it's, it's difficult to separate some of those. So, so knowing your players and knowing their needs, that, that would be, like you said, around the individual approach and, and then how you build that into a session. So, you know, you and I were uh, on a similar course where the, the tutor, Ted Dale, talked about who's James Bond. So in your practice, if the practice is about um, midfielders getting the ball and playing forward, who are the, the you know who's James Bond in, in in that practice, or who is James Bond and who's the you know the supporting actor? Who are they going to be the the two maybe three people you're really going to need or really going to focus on to 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 help them and perhaps improve their performance within the practice? But then equally, you know, sticking with the James Bond theme, you know, who are, who are the guys around that? So the midfielders will probably need you know the, the forwards and wingers to run into certain areas. And then I suppose the flip side of that is you need to manage the you manage the opposition and manage the defenders to enable the midfielders to get repetition of what you're what you're sort of um, aiming to get. So it's about knowing those key individuals which which you mentioned, and then what is that? How does that ripple effect sort of move out throughout the session? I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you go back to the question in terms of what the actual process is around that, I think first of all, once you've established what your topic or what your objective or outcomes are for that session who you're then going to focus on as the, the lead player in that particular practice, whether that's a 20-minute part of the session or the entire session. 
Um, it's about then working through that planning process and saying, okay, well, how many players do I know I'm going to have or do I guess I'm going to have? Because often, you know, in different environments, you don't always know who's going to be there every time, but you might have a rough idea. So, okay, well, I'm going to plan a practice for six to eight players uh, or 10 to 12 players, whatever your number is based on, uh, on the session itself. And these are the key elements that I need to get out. Do I want it to be fully opposed? Do I want it to be overloaded? Um, and really working to try and understand what level you want to push these players to. And again, that, that really comes back to their age, their stage of development, and what their ability is. Um, it might be a certain point in the season. If it's late in the season and players are fatigued or tired, are you managing that physical workload? So just making sure that you're managing the intensity, and that could just be through the space. Um, if players are really struggling with the space, then change it. And I guess that's one of the things that in planning sessions, potentially as a younger coach, I would plan a session and the session would have to go that way. And I would mm -hmm. want it to go that way and I'd be a little bit of a perfectionist around it. But as you sort of develop, I think you become a lot more adaptable. Um, and also your ego comes, comes out of the play a little bit. And if, if things go wrong, change them. Change them on the run. Don't be afraid to just stick with a session um, because you've planned it and that's what's down on the plan. Uh, actually don't be afraid to be adaptable in front of the players. And I think players respect that. If, if they can see that the coach is observing and something's not quite going right and there's a change and then it works, then suddenly the players are going, actually the coach is in tune with what's happening here. Yeah, this is something you've talked about before in one of these Q&As and, and sort of the, the idea of flow and, and basing that around what the, you know, what the players need. So you've put on your piece of paper that you're going to do three you know, parts to your session and, it, you know, whatever that looks like, whether it's whole part whole or, you know, skill into a small-sided game. But if the players need longer in a certain practice or perhaps they're not getting enough repetition or perhaps you're not getting the outcomes that you perhaps expected, then it's not just um, delivering this transactional plan to the players and saying, unlucky with that because now we're moving on, like it's a timetable, you know, like we're at school and we've done maths and so now we're going to move on to English. Mm. Some, sometimes if you had three things down and the first thing takes an extra 10, 15 minutes to, to, to really get, get the guys to where you want them to be or, or where they need to be, then you might have to scrap the third practice. You might have to say, you know, I can't fit that in today. And that, I think that for me is sort of living, you know, the player being the syllabus. So rather than following this curriculum where it's, you know, 49 weeks of every single, you know, four corner ticked and we're going to do all of these things around all these technical and tactical targets, actually we need to think about what the players need. So you need to have have a framework because I think that is important, but also have a freedom within that framework so that you can say, well, I need another half an hour to do this. Because, you know, if your team are shipping six goals every week, you don't need to worry about, you know, how you're going to attack and, and create. You need to do defending. So it's about it's about having that curriculum so you are delivering across all the four corners and across the whole spectrum of what they need but also letting the players the players need sort of guide how you plan and how you deliver your sessions i guess yeah definitely and i think that that's a really you know the example i'm not sure if i've provided the practical example before but the the situation where i best experienced that was when i was being observed um by a coach educator from the fa and was in a session around counter-attack and the players were absolutely flying. The session was going really well. I was getting the outcomes. And then because of my plan, I've stuck to the stuck to the plan and I've gone, actually, I'm going to move on to the next bit. And the question at the end was, well, did you need to move on to the next bit? And in the second part of the session, which was, I guess, uh, to describe it quickly, was it really sort of replicated a phase of play. It took the players probably five to 10 minutes just to grasp the practice, having gone from one, which was a small-sided game into sort of a phase. Um, and that stifled their flow. And I think we've got to use our eyes and ears as coaches and learn from those kind of things. And we'll, we'll do it all the time. You'll always have a session plan and you might go, well, that part went really well. 
that part wasn't so good and then you've got to reflect on why and did you need the second part or did you need the first part? Um, could you have just thrown the players in the deep end? So there's sort of the, the art of observation I think is key here in terms of adjusting your plan. Once you've got the plan down uh, on the iPad or on your pen and paper, however you do it, um, it's about adjusting once you're out there on the grass and seeing or, or just smelling the environment really and just sensing what's going on, how are the players responding, are they being stretched, um, is that individual being stretched? Is that individual struggling? How can I help? Uh, and just continually questioning and observing. And I think that's really where the detail comes in and you can go in and affect players. Mm. And that's the art of coaching, right? So so putting what you know and where the players are and trying to trying to deliver something that's in between. Um, I think I think you made some really good points. I've got 15 questions at once going around my head. Um, I think um, how the players, you know, sort of transfer their, their understanding from the practice to the game would be another really big part of my um, planning process. So we have to know what the game looks like. Um, so in my mind, that means what does the elite game look like? So what does a Champions League game look like? But also what does an under 12 game look like and how you can sort of blend those two together? Because we are trying to take the players, you know, along this journey to hopefully be, you know, wherever they, wherever they need to be. If you're working with elite players or you're working with, you know, strong grassroots players. But you need to understand what the game looks like at a macro 11 v 11 um stage but perhaps at under 9 10 11 12 it will look completely different so i course, think that, yeah. that that's again a, a skill of the coach because you do need to stay you know on top of what chelsea doing with their 343 but also how does that affect billy and his mates when he's playing seven aside because they are similar but they're also completely different if that makes any sense yeah i think so i think we've got to be really careful that it's important that we're developing our knowledge as coaches but our job if we're working with really young players is not then to go and give them a master class on an 11 v 11 unopposed practice uh, working on shadow play and shapes when they're nine and ten so it's really key that we we get lots of repetition we, we look at the, the session trying to look like the game or parts of the game. And I think one of the biggest challenges in that sort of area is when you've got small numbers. And if you've got small numbers and you're trying to make things look like the game, well, that might just be breaking it down to a 1v1 or 2v2. You've got five kids turn up to a training session, but you want to work on finishing with back to goal. Well, then straight away, you know, I've got to have a defender in this area. I've got to have my striker receiving in this area. So pitch geography comes into it. Um, and then maybe I've got to have somebody distributing who potentially if they're working uh, just on their weighted pass or type of pass, maybe they're unopposed if you've only got three or four players. And, or do you overload the striker because perhaps they're flying at that stage and you want them to go 1v2. So can you put your sessions in an area of the pitch if you've got that at your disposal or at least replicate it in the, the training environment that you're in? Um, to make, make sure that that pitch geography then provides realistic triggers and realistic information to the players so they can perceive that around them. So when they find themselves in that scenario on game day and they can demonstrate that knowledge transfer, they've actually got an opportunity to do it, you know. Yeah, and the distances, like you said, the pitch geography, the distances are so important. So, you know, you need your forward receiving in places where he's going to receive the ball. You need the midfielder playing into the forward, you know, a realistic distance again for the age and stage of the player, you know, what it, what it looks like at Premier League level versus what it looks like at 7v7. Um, but yeah, you need you need knowledge of both. Mm. How, how, how would you physically go through this process? So, you know, if you were starting from scratch to, if we, if we sort of walk it through from starting from scratch all the way to delivering it on a, on a Tuesday night, what would that look like for you? Yeah, so the environments I've most recently been working in are um, where we have a, a curriculum or a program or body of work, we're working on a topic. So let's say we're working on a possession topic. Okay, well, that's the area that I'm working on. Um, how many players am I likely to have? Generally, we have a good idea of that, you know, probably between, you know, a range of three or four, you might, you might sort of 
you might sort of think, okay, I know I'm going to have 12 to 15 tonight. So you might say, well, I'm going to plan for that. Are we going to split the group and work with an assistant? Are we going to work with the whole group, um, depending on whether we want to get lots and lots of repetition with smaller numbers or bigger groups? Then we're going to be thinking, right, this is the topic. Um, I want it to end with these outcomes. So I want my players tonight to really be able to hold on to the ball or really maintain possession in the middle third. That might be a hypothetical. So, okay, how am I going to design a session around that? Well, I'm going to look, first of all, at the area of the pitch, <clears throat> the key players who are going to be involved in that. And then I might have a couple of individuals with targets. So it might be that I've got a central midfielder who's working on receiving to play forward or playing split passes. Um, can I make that person the focal point of this part of the session? And then it's a case of actually putting the session plan together. So what size do I need? What equipment do I need? Am I putting this on an iPad? Am I putting it on a whiteboard for the players? Um, and I am a fan of using the iPad. I think the kids really respond to that. Uh, the app that I like to use is the FA Coaching app. Really simple to use. Um, good to have it on the grass with you. You can say to the kids, look, here's the, here's the um, structure of the practice. This is what it looks like. You guys are yellows. You guys are reds. And so you physically... You'd physically show them the iPad and show them your session plan yeah, and be definitely. Quite, quite, quite transparent with that. Yeah, I think so. And, and not always. I think it's a case like sometimes you can go out there and explain a session, get it rolling and then sort of see how they pick it up. But I think there's a lot of kids that love that visual. So whether it's a whiteboard or whether it's a clipboard or anything that you've got, um, anything that can help them. There might be three or four kids in that group who really respond to you know that kind of visual method. There might be others who are doing kick-ups in the background and don't care less. They just want to get out and play. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think just having that adds a little bit of value and it means that you can get your session going quickly. Um, so you can get the players engaged. If they know what the, the objective is and they've seen a couple of images, that's going to help them. So having the iPad out there for me personally is something that I enjoy. Um, and, and it just means you can show the kids progressions or, or different session plans, you know? Yeah. And then, and then I think, um, when you get actually to start the session, so you've got all the boys there, you've explained the session, it's really important the way that you explain it. So well, there are, there are different things that can happen. So if you show them the session plan, like you're saying with, with an iPad or a, a whiteboard, that gives them a really quick way to understand perhaps what we want to see. And then there may be other opportunities where we just put them into the practice and see what emerges and see how see how they're learning and how they you know they're interacting with each other and the environment and the equipment that you've provided rather than perhaps um, being explicit with this is what we're going to do today. It's going to be about building possession. The things we're going to look for are X, Y, Z. It might just be go and play. Here's the practice and give them a few parameters and then perhaps you can guide them as individuals or guide them as a group to, to where you think they need to go. So I think that's a, that's quite an interesting difference and, and something that perhaps when I was younger I wouldn't have done at all I was mm. quite I would have shown them the whiteboard shown them the session plan this is what we're going to do the outcomes are xyz um, to do that we're going to look at abc and I might do that through questioning but it was still pretty transactional it was yeah. still me sort of saying this is what it's going to look like you're going to show me then I'm going to be happy then I'm going to go home <laughs> and that and now there's probably 50% uh, of the time where I just say this is the practice go and play yeah you know whether it's a small-sided game whether it's you know defense versus attack or even you know 1v1 mm. I, I quite often don't give them a lot of instructions or just enough you know just enough education to perform I guess is the, is the, is the line and and sometimes the boys go can we do this can we do that and I'll, and I'll say it's football yeah, can we can we tackle these outside players? Can we dribble in there? And I go, it's football. Do you know? Do 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 what you can. And then you know, you might get different outcomes, but with the exact same practice with different players. 
And and also, I find that's a really good way to make your sessions better because the players will almost find the barriers or find that you know find the edges of the practice and say, "Why don't we do this?" or "Why don't we in this area we can play with one touch?" or yeah. you know, to make it harder, we're going to play with a smaller goal. And you'll go, "That is a brilliant idea. I never thought of that." Yeah. And then and then other times you might say, "No, I exactly want this to happen because this is what we're working on." And I think when you've got that balance with your players over the weeks, they can say, "Okay, Dan's in charge tonight, and we're going to do X, Y, Z because." He thinks we need that help. And other weeks, the players are in charge and they, they can sort of take the session where, where they think they need to go. Is that, is, can you sort of empathise with that? Is that something that yeah. you, you see happening? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a tangent, but you, you reflect on those questions coming from players. Can we do this or do we have permission to do this? And I think it often reflects on the environment they might find themselves in during the day. So again, when we talk about what the planning process is, um, you've got to account for those factors that are around the player that are often referred to as socio-cultural constraints and those influences that affect how the player is going to react at training. Now, for players being at school all day, being told to do this or instructed to do that or said this is what you can or can't do, then perhaps when they get into a coaching bar, and I've seen exactly what you're describing all the time where players go, oh, am I allowed to go over there? Well, yeah, you can because it's a game of football and that player's got the ball, so yes, you can tackle them. Um, and it's almost like they're looking for sort of coach's approval or permission. So by, and obviously over time, they're gonna get used to you. So they're gonna get an understanding that when Dave puts on a session or Dan puts on a session, I, I know I can go over there now, but initially when you're getting to know players or earlier in the season, perhaps they're trying to feel it out as to where they, how far they can push things. Mm. And I think if we're gonna create players or help develop players who are thinkers or mavericks or have a bit about them in terms of the way they play the game, you want players that want to push it a little bit and they want to want to see if they can cross over the line or want to, want to see if they can go in for that 50-50 tackle in the area that maybe they're not allowed in at that stage. Um, so I think we want kids that will push the boundaries because then you can say, well, this is, this is the reason why I'm allowing you into that area or this is the reason why you're not because of the outcome of the practice. So yeah. it's an interesting one. But I think, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, how the practice should look, there's some great content on the site. Um, particularly from Marco Sullivan and our own Jimmy Vaughan, um, a couple of blog articles I'd point you in the direction of, creating problem solvers, repre representative learning design, and Jimmy's article on simplicity versus complexity in training design, and it, it, all tying back to making sessions look like the game. So I'd recommend those. Uh, and of course, there's plenty to look at in the session plan library. And, and obviously, we, we put those sessions out there as a framework for coaches to adapt. You know, they're, they're not structured sessions where you have to do it one way. There's lots of different options uh, to go in there because I think there is a danger at times. I don't know what your opinion on this is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think perhaps, again, this is something perhaps you, through your, your coaching journey that your um, viewpoint shifts. Mm. Um, I think we've touched on this before, but when I was a, a younger coach, I used to collect every single session. And there's still times where I do collect sessions and I think that is really clever, like the way that yeah. that's designed. But it goes back to knowing your players. You can't just lift a session from a different club or a different environment with different players and drop it into your club and have and expect to have the same outcome. So, you know, you can't take some of Barcelona's practice, you know, and drop them into inner city London and expect to get the same things that Barcelona do mm. because of all those, you know, things that are going around the player, like you say, the social cultural constraints, because the players are different to the Barcelona players and they've got you know, different upbringings and, you know, they've had different experiences and different coaches throughout their journey. And then I think it's also about understanding the outcomes. So this is this is one that was touched on Twitter the other day with, with goalkeeping coaches. And there seems to be, you know, a lot of equipment when goalkeeper coaches coach, a lot of mm. hurdles and uh, medicine balls and, you know, uh, lights and things for them to touch and tennis rackets and tennis balls. 
And, and you know, there's some excellent coaches that are doing some excellent work. And it wouldn't be my place to say, you know, that all of that is rubbish. But we don't know why that first team goalkeeper coach is doing that. And if you don't know why he's doing it, then perhaps it might not be the best thing for you to take and do with your under eight goalkeeper. Definitely. And, and also within that, perhaps these guys are elite. So they might be looking at practices that are, you know, way off the, the sort of the, the basic or the fundamentals because they're really trying to stretch those players. And, and we might be working with grassroots or, or youth players that, you know, the fundamentals is brilliant and that's where we should be. And we need to get really, really, really good at the, you know, the, the, the basics to be, you know, a good player come sort of teenage ages. Um, I think just the, the other thing that I was going to say, just to wrap this up, you know, once the, the planning has happened and we've, we've delivered our session, I think we need to talk about reflection as well, because, you know, the FA used the, the plan, do, review and, and whatever language you want to use is fine, is fine. But the plan, do, review is, is basically saying, you know, we should spend an equal amount of time doing all of those things. Mm. So it's not we, we plan a, a brilliant session and then deliver it and then say, mm, that's OK, we move on to the next one. Because going back to where we started, if we, if we really know our players and we really know the outcomes and, and the journeys that they're going to go on, then we have to review what, this, what happened in the session and, and, you know, did we find James Bond and did we affect James Bond or did the session just sort of pass him by? Because going back to where we started, if we're, if we're working on that central midfielder receiving the ball and, and playing forward and if he doesn't do it a lot or he's not getting repetition or he didn't understand it, then, you know, perhaps as a coach we haven't done our job and so we need to review why that happened. It might be down to the practice, it might be down to the opposition, it might be down to the way the practice was structured, it might be down to your coaching, it might be down to the player might have had a bad day. And I think you need to review all of those things before you move on to the next session. Otherwise, it does just go back to that sort of, you know, the, the curriculum, like I was saying before, you know, a timetable, we do this and move on and do this and move on. And perhaps the players aren't getting better. Yeah, really good points there. And I think that sort of um, just sparked the idea in my own mind about repeated practice. Because it's, I think as coaches, we have a tendency to assume that we should change it every single time. Um, giving players a chance to try a practice, try it again, try it again, and then become good at it means that within that, they're getting some repetition, they understand the game, you can get things going quickly, and of course, they're going to get lots of practice around the idea that you're trying to promote, whatever that topic is or whatever that concept is. But there's no harm in, in repeating practice uh, over and over to give players a chance to improve within it. So, you know, if you're working in some kind of rondo or some kind of positional game where you want players playing quickly or playing in a certain shape or structure, doing that time and again, they're going to get better at it. And, and again, I, you know, I've seen that myself uh, recently with players. Initially, when you bring those sort of positional game concepts in, it could be a little bit like, well, I'm not quite sure what this is about. And over time, you set the practice up, they know where to go, they know how to transition, and you're building that relative to their needs and your own environment. And I think that repeated practice thing is important. Yeah, and the benefits of using the same practice over and over means that you can scaffold that learning. So perhaps what it looks like the first time you do it could be a bit horrific and messy mm. and you spend 75% of the time explaining how the practice works or, you know, the, the desired outcomes of the practice. When you get to the third, third, fourth, fifth time of doing it, the kids already know what's going on. I stand here, the bibs go, they understand the practice. So then you can start really diving into yeah. the detail. And I think going back to sort of, you know, being a session magpie and, and, and taking things <laughs> off Twitter and YouTube, the, the the cost of that is that you move on every single week. And so the kids are almost in a head spin every session of like, what, what is this session? What is the practice? And by the time they've learnt it, you've moved on to the next one because you found a new practice. Whereas, you know, if you've got 20 to 40 uh, sessions in the locker that you think work and that the players sort of are enjoying and getting things out of, then you can really sort of dive into that detail and, and then maybe switch your focus of who is the main player every single week. 
Yeah, well, look, Dan, you'd never know we're passionate about planning sessions because that's probably our longest Q&A ever. But uh, thanks so much for your time. Hopefully some great ideas there for Ash, and we look forward to any feedback on this one. Thanks again. Look forward to another PDP Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.